This next episode is brought to you by Emo's Not Dead Apparel. Our first revival tour did so incredible and you guys loved it that we wanted to bring it back, but in different designs. This is my chihuahua hanging out with a pack of wolves. Check out this one. It says Emo's Not Dead, I think. I can't quite read it. Look how that skeleton rides that horse. You can find all this and more at emosnotdead.com. Thanks for supporting our brand. It's because of you guys that we can survive. We're, we're in a shitty garage right now. It's not even my garage. So if you buy the merch, we can do this again. I don't know if they're going to put this in there on this ad read, but I, I, we need you right now. She's my Welcome back to the E&D podcast. Hey, hey everybody. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm not there yet. We got a beautiful guest on today's show. Telly from The Word Alive is here, everybody. Give it up. What's up? How's it going? Dude, um, so the reason... So recently, I looked into this. Do you remember that we played Slam Dunk Music Festival together? Yes. That was 2012. We also did Warp Tour, whichever year that was. That's what... That's what I was going to ask. Okay, cool. So we did do Warp Tour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so we did, a, yeah. Good old It Boys. What year was Good that? Good old It Boys days. Was, was it 2010 or 11? That was 2000. Yeah, we did We did Warp Tour 9, 10, 11, 12, I believe. We did 10 and 11. Got it. So we did Warp Tour. Okay, got it. Yeah. Damn. My, I'm a little bit mixed up on, t- on, on time and what tours were which. And like, I remember specifically um, having... I don't know if it was Warp Tour or Slam Dunk, but we spent some time together um, at lunch or some shit. And like you were one of the one of the few band guys that I had I had known before going on tour. Um, you were so nice to me. Thank you. Right. Such it's a, easy to be nice to nice people. Such a sweetheart. Um, but yeah, dude, Slam Dunk Music Festival in 2012. And who were I believe Taking Back Sunday may have been. Yes, Taking Back Sunday was right. Uh, it's funny how like just saying that triggered this memory for me because uh that slam dunk was actually like a really cool time for me because it was like early on in our career where like I was starting to like meet my like influences and Adam Mazar was one of them and I met him after that show that they played and he had lost his voice and um the you know it doesn't matter with Tangy Back Sunday because the crowd's singing like every word um but I, I see him like right after they played and he was like upset, but like not at the same time. And he's just sitting on steps and he was just sitting there. And he's like, shit happens. And mm. it, he and we were just talking about like that, about being a singer on tour and like losing your voice. And it's like, there's nothing you can do. It's yeah. just, it happens to like the best singers in the world. But he was telling me, he was like, I just go into it of essentially like I give a hundred percent of whatever I have and that's good enough for me. Yeah. And it, it was a, a nice little moment to see someone that you like, you look up to a lot, but like seeing them on a lower um, level and being like being human, uh, human. Exactly. Yeah. Like, it, so it made me feel better about like my own, like insecurities, my for voice sure. at the time. For sure. And that was that slam dunk music. That was festival? at that, that was at that slam dunk. And you went to go meet him like yeah. to actually say like, Hey dude. Yeah. To say like, how you know and pivotal how that band was for like me. how how'd that conversation go was, was he was he stoked to meet you as a fan who also was in a band was he i know obviously he was in a in a weird mood because of his performance but like 
He was what, like, what else did you get from him? He was, but he's remembered me every single time since then. I think that we've met. Um, and honestly, he was one of the easiest and most humble, like people that I I've met over the years. Um, and you know, our friend Spencer from under oath was another one who, and they're very good friends. He's another one that like, just right away, it was just easy mm. and like, yeah, they become human like very yeah. quickly. Whereas some people kind of like, they like to stay in that like mystique M- like, yeah, mindset like and mysterious. They feel a little bit better than everyone else. And like, yeah, it, it's just, the, there's a lot of separation and, yeah. and I'm not like that. I'm yeah. just like, Hey, what's up? You know, dude, you're one of the most normal people that <laughs> I've ever met through your success as the word alive was blowing up at as big as you guys have gotten, you've always just been a normal person. And like you said, Spencer Chamberlain, I like, they say don't meet your idols because you you can be disappointed. And I've loved Under Oath for so long. They're one of the first bands that got me in the scene. When I got to meet Spencer and he was so nice to me and so sweet and so real. And so they played uh, the E&D cruise and I was performing um on day three i was performing on the on the pool deck which is like the the bigger stage and like my voice was going out from meeting so many fans and being excited yeah got one we keep that on zap those mosquitoes keep them off of you um so i i remember he had texted me before i was going on and he knew my the, the schedule he's like dude excited to see you tonight are you stoked whatever like yeah i'm stoked but Man, my voice, I just, it sucks. I've been talking to fans for the last two days straight, and I'm not a touring musician, so I don't think to take care of my voice. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was like not, it was on its way out. Yeah. And 10 minutes later, without me asking, he just shows up to the room to like coach me through it. Just as a sweet, as a sweetheart, he shows up. I get a knock on the door. I'm like, what the heck? He comes in, he's wearing like this, this, pon- this poncho thing because he got it in Ensenada, Mexico. Remember, he would wear that around yep. a little bit. Um, he walks in, he goes, dude, so what's going on? Like, so concerned. And I'm like, oh, what's up, dude? And he's like, dude, here's what I do. And then he starts just coaching me on how to feel better. And I'm like, that's a real ass human. That's a human, a yeah. nice, sweet human being. A lot of yeah. empathy there. A lot of what? Empathy. A lot of empathy. Yeah. And well, he's been I've, there before. He he knows what's going on. He knows how you're feeling physically, emotionally, mentally. And so when you are in that position like he has been it's the worst thing for a singer like when i'm on tour and if i start to feel that happening it literally will like make you depressed because that's it's like what you put all your value and self-worth in while you're performing is like that's it yeah that's what your job is so like if you can't do that and it's something physical and yeah that's the thing that people don't talk about like talking and talking to people like that, it's like if I have a one hour phone call sometimes on tour, that will do more damage to my voice than like performing for an hour. Yeah. Because it's, it's different muscles and you're using your voice just differently. Yeah. Um, so it is, it, it's a very stressful thing, but Spencer has done that for me as well. Yeah. So he, he's a sweet. He's a good person. He, he, yeah. He's like the best. Are, have you ever lost your voice to not be able to perform? Yes. Well, I have. I so I have not played one show in my career, and it's only time I I've played some shows I should not have. My voice was like so gone. I had strep throat. You know, we're like dead of winter. I had pneumonia once, and I'm just like, we had to play because we needed the guarantee, and it's like 
that's just how it goes, especially when you come from like the punk rock world. Mm-hmm. It's very like go, go, go. You have to play every show. If you cancel, then like it, it's just like mm-hmm. a rite of passage where you're like, I never cancel shows, which doesn't make sense. It's not a healthy mindset to have. It's so punk rock to it, be like, you fucking play through it. Yeah. No voice you play. So like- I did it until I literally could not speak. Like there was one show Fuck. we were in New Jersey and we were going to be playing this venue called Starlin Ballroom. It's like one of my favorite venues to play. The crowd's always great. And I literally, I did everything I could do. I went to the doctor. I got like a steroid shot. I'm like giving everything I have and just nothing. It was like, like I could barely even speak a whisper. Yeah. And I'm like, I can't physically play, even if my life depended on it. And mm-hmm. the band played without me and had like singers from the tour, like, help Fill out. Fill in and kind of yeah. sing. Damn. Yeah. That's it's the rough. only show That's that w- the band has played without me. Damn. So as are you are you at all classically trained? Have you have you done any have you done voice lessons <clears throat> to learn how to control your voice, to sing a certain way, to and then we'll get to screaming later, but as yeah. far as vo- as far as just singing, have you yeah. had any train for for that? Well, so people always ask me like when did you start singing? And for me, I'm like I guess like my whole life, um, I came from not a musical family per se, but my parents loved to sing. So like we're driving anywhere, there's music on and they're singing along to whatever Mm -hmm. it is. So I grew up in a household. I'm very thankful for that, that it was just normal to sing along in the car. And so my dad was really into classic rock and, um, you know, amazing vocalist from that era. And my mom was like more into like Celine Dion and classical music. So there's like a more choiry type of singing that I got from her. And I just kind of had it because of them. Okay. They were both really good singers. Got it. Um, even though they never tried to like pursue anything musically. So I think I just because of them, I just naturally had kind of like a good base. I didn't have any lessons of any kind until this past summer, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, my whole life. I find, I was just like, no, I want to figure it out on my own, which is so stupid. Yeah. And it's just, you know, your ego. You're just like, I want to do it like this way. Like asking for help or how to like learn more is, is it's humbling to do because the thing about singing is, no one has like perfected it. Every single person can get better with singing. Yeah. It, so that's what it's the beauty of uh, the voice is like, it's an instrument that has endless possibilities. You just have to tap into different things. So. And, you, and you took lessons, you said this in the last year? This past summer, we were working on our new album and I was just like, you know what? I want to ask someone if they can like teach me something I don't know. Because yeah. I kind of felt like, not like I've learned as much as you can learn, but within the realm of like what I've done with my voice, I felt like I had pushed it about as far as I could do it on my own. And I, I hit that place where I was like, I want to, I want to learn something new. I want to learn a new technique or I mm. want to uh, try to grow my voice. Cause that was a goal of mine. Every record was to like learn something new about my voice. And I'd done it every single record up until this one. And then this one was just more like honing in on, the like who I am as a vocalist and and how my voice sounds you know like Spencer you're like that's Spencer from Under Oath that's you know Adam from Taking Back Sunday like that's kind of what I feel like the Word Alive didn't have as much earlier in our career Mm. because I was like singing 
like my influences. And mm-hmm. now it was time the last couple of records for me to like find my voice. Got it. Who'd you so, go to? Uh, for the producing, for the vocal. Oh, coaching. for the for the vocal coaching, David Benitez. Uh, he does. He runs a an online school called Extreme um, Vocal Institute with his wife, and um, <clears throat> he sings and screams. And he's just a guy who like started on the internet, and he was just like, "Let me teach you how to scream, and let me teach you how to do this singing technique." And it just kept growing and growing and growing. And I started seeing him on tours and he would come out and like help other singers on tour and i would see how much of an impact he would have and so over time we became friends and i was like hey if i fly you out like you want to just like hang out with me in the studio for a week and just if you can teach me something new cool and and he did he he unlocked some stuff with my voice that has then gone on to make everything else i do easier and i think that's a big part of singing is making things easier on yourself, not Mm -hmm. necessarily learning something new, but learning how to make it easier just gives you a lot more stamina. And is he the, he has got the long curly hair, dude, his videos are so good. (laughs) He's so, so I, I, I take a couple of those videos and I go into my bedroom and and do a couple, um, Melissa cross too. So Melissa back in the day, she's screaming. So good. So I couldn't, I never really understood until I met her. Like, people had told me and Spencer's gone to her for mm-hmm. forever and they would say these like things like over the pencil and all this stuff. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking mm-hmm. about. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. And she came out to a show <laughs> and this is 2014 and she gave, gave me very high praise. And she was like, there's not really much for me to teach you, but I would, the biggest thing I would tell you is like work on your breath work. But even just that, and then put it, pushing me in the right direction, like that changed my voice like wow. just just learning to focus on the right things mm. instead of what you th- you just naturally and, are thinking about none of that messed you up at all like no. ha- like you've put that to practice on stage and it's just worked for you yeah like it's i don't know it's weird i i feel like i'm very in tune with my with my body and that's just from years of like trying to figure out what's going on and how it works mm-hmm. i'll be the first person to say I do some stuff and I couldn't tell you technically how I do it. Mm. I'm just like, I just kind of figured it out. And it's from like years of trying to to do things other people could do that I didn't know how to. And then so just over time, you kind of like stumble into things. And uh, that's kind of been how I've learned most of the time is like that trial and error way. And early on, at least for me, uh, I, I, I combated it with volume. And yes. I would go loud. That's the biggest mistake. That's the yeah. first. I did the same thing. Like I'm like thinking I'm hearing someone scream and I'm like, oh, you have to like be putting your entire soul into this. And it, that's not how it yep. is. It's less is more a that, lot of times. That Zen a Screaming DVD I pirated because Spencer, you know, uh, got I, I found out that Melissa Cross was doing and that yeah. DVD just clicked for me. And every car ride. I was sitting shotgun in after that was just like 10 times better. So interesting. It, it can do a lot for you. It, I, I, I hear that there are, I don't know how to scream, but I know that, that some people have different techniques in the, in the world, yeah. but doesn't like Ollie Sykes have a really soft scream, but just, he does it a certain way into the mic or like, I, I heard something about Ollie's scream being different and I don't know what that rumor is that I heard. Are you familiar with that? So Ollie used to scream more one way, and then he switched techniques later on in his, in his career. But I think he still does a few different 
types. And so there's like false chord, there's fry scream, then there's some other stuff that I'm just like, there's more and more names. And I'm like, again, I'm like, I don't know what I do. I just do it. Yeah. For the longest time I thought I did, I thought I screamed one way and David actually told, he's like, he, which like blew my mind. He was like, you know, this scream that you do and this scream that you do, he's like, they're the same thing. And I was like, what? I was like, no, they're not. And he's like, you've told yourself that they're different. So they feel different to you. Mm. And that was one of the things that he like unlocked was like, it's at least the technique that I was using, which was more like I, I focus more on the fry side of things um, because I'm a singer. And I think at least for me, singing and screaming and going back and forth, it's what Chester uh, Chester did from Lincoln Park. It's what mm-hmm. Spencer does from Under Oath. Um, it's just easier to flow between the two mm. with fry, at least for me. And um, can you give an example of fry scream? <laughs> well, <laughs> how's that? Yeah. So like, uh, oh, it could be a lot louder. Uh, you know, I'm yeah. just the neighbors, but yeah, yeah. The, horrible, yeah, <laughs> horrible. Well, so here's another thing that that David told me, and this is one of the biggest things I think that screamers have a have an issue with. Your scream acoustically, like me doing that right now, it doesn't sound good. It's not like I'm like, man, that sounds sick. Now David's like really, really good. So you could he just has so much tone and character to to his because he know he's so used to teaching that he's like, it's gonna sound like this. The thing that you have to like learn is to not listen to what you're hearing, but it's what you know that the technique is, and then when you put that through a microphone, know and you that have it's gonna sound good. Know that it's gonna sound it. good. You exactly. Have faith in it. That makes sense. So like Damn. once once I started doing that, it just unlocked me doing a lot more i i open up my range and like fluctuation and pitch just from being like well i'm just gonna trust that this is gonna sound good for them and not be in my head about it and i think that's like most things in life when you when you're too in your head you're like holding yourself back even if you don't realize it that's true so speaking of being in your head and what happened to me when i got vocal lessons this is when i was touring in it boys and i've I grew up like you just singing in the car and just having like a natural like singing voice. Not by no means do I have like a beautiful like singing voice, but it's enough to do like the pop punky type stuff that we did. And, and I was decent at singing live. I went to a vocal coach and we, I did three lessons with her and I was so in my head to change my, my, my performance the way she taught me to Mm. that three shows in a row I was just off live and the, and the, like I knew it and the band knew it and we talked about it and I was like, guys, I went to lessons to get better and it's fucking with me. It's yeah. in my head. I feel worse. And so I just, I threw, I just kind of threw it out the window and went back to just singing. Like just here I am. This is how I sing. I hear the song and I sing it like it's on the radio. Yeah. And so I had the opposite effect and I, by no means do I think that this trainer was not good or anything. I just think that I let it get to my head. Or not to my head. It got in my head. It got in my head too much that I'm like, okay, and I'm on stage and breath work and I got to do this and I got to like do this. And I just changed my performance for the worse, which was weird. It freaked me out. There is something to be said about what works for you. You know, it's like, to me, it's like uh, teaching math. Like some people are just, they just get ones and zeros. Some people it's like, okay, if you have three pies, you know, there's like association with it. Yeah. 
to me with vocal coaching, I, I see a lot of different types and some like just do not click with me. Yeah. I, I did forget early on in our career, management sent me to a vocal coach. He was like this eighties guy in Arizona, kind of creepy, weird ish. And I went there and I was not that comfortable being there to begin with. But then he's like, ah, like doing all these like 80s things. And I'm like, I'm not even, tr- I'm not even trying to do that. That it doesn't make sense what I'm doing. So maybe while the coach could be great, maybe it just wasn't the coach for you. True. And I think that could be. definitely plays a role because there are things like, and I've asked other friends, I'm like, I do it this way. And it's like, well, if that works for you, you don't necessarily have to do it True. a certain way. True. There are so many different styles and techniques. And, and I think a big part of singing is just like, we all like have like sung in the shower in our cars, all this. It's like, you do have like this buildup of technique, even if you don't know what that technique That's is. That's so true. You still have been developing it all yeah. along. And I think if the more you sing, you just get better anyway. Yes. You just get better. You, you learn <laughs> your muscle. voice. You learn your, yeah, it's a muscle memory thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So speaking of screamo <coughs> and what, who are your, who are your top favorite screamo bands, screamo artists? Like what influenced you when you wanted to take music as a career and, and choose to scream in your, in your style of music? So Under Oath is the first band I ever heard with screaming that I, at least that I can remember. Uh, and then there's this uh, old band called Zao that actually Under Oath loves. That's too. the name of my son. Really? Yeah. Oh, Named sick. him Zayo. Yeah. yeah. I love that. <laughs> there it is. Uh, Zayo and Andro, that Cornerstone yeah, 99. Yeah. Didn't you, um, did you name your son after that band? Or, or? Don't tell Senya. Okay. She, yeah. She'll never know. I, I named him after the, it, so the, the name Zayo, the, where the band got their name from, was the Greek translation of the original Hebrew Bible and the book of Genesis is Zayo. And so Genesis, first life, et cetera, et cetera. My first son. It just made sense. The, they were my first. Uh, like screamo hardcore whatever show yep. was yep. was them Zayo and Underoath. I had a disposable camera <laughs> and I'm like shoot. I have I still have it in a in a shoebox at my mom's house of all these photos I took of of them. That's sick. And uh, but yeah, so I mean Underoath is like they come out with the the changing of times. <coughs> Angel Excuse below. Me. Oof. And uh, it was the first thing I heard that had like screaming, but like it was still melodic, and mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I like this. And then I ended up getting into Thursday, The Used, like the I, I would say like those bands were pivotal. Lincoln Park and Deftones came like after, but also became more prominent of mm-hmm. like what pulled me into like the music, I guess, that I most close closely make now. Even though like Under Oath and The Used and those bands were the band and Thursday were the bands that got me into like wanting to be in a band. I think like I gravitated beyond just the screamo emo side of it as well. Mm-hmm. And um, I liked the like Deftones were just kind of like sexy to me, but like really heavy in a cool way. I, w- I felt like even back then, I never felt like Under Oath and The Used were like heavy bands. To me, I always soaked up their melodic side. Same with yeah. me. I, so, I never thought of them as being heavy bands no. because I fell in love with the melody and yeah. then their, the, the melody was so beautiful and then the screams just made it like badass. But then mm-hmm. to find the great line came out and they were a heavy band. 
Okay, right. yeah. Define the Great Line is heavy. my favorite heavy record of all time. It's my favorite record of all time. From First to Last is another band that teetered on the emo, screamo, and a little bit of new metal-ish. And they had the Dear Diary album. And then when Heroin came out, I was like, that was right when I was starting in my first bands. And I was like in my dad's basement. And I'm just like trying to play along to like Note to Self and, and the U songs. So I would say like that's what got me into playing, and then what kept me going was like Lincoln Park, like yeah. the 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 I would say more developed songwriting, mm-hmm. like really drew me in to like okay maybe there's like a way to do this myself. Hey boys, sorry to interrupt your podcast, but I have some exciting cruise news. The E and D cruise year two is completely sold out. However, we do have a cruise cabin for two that we will be giving away to one lucky YouTube subscriber. Just make sure you're subscribed to our channel, like our videos, and let's see you in the comments. We're gonna scroll through the comments and pick one of you guys to give a cruise to. That's all the news I have for today. Have a great show, guys. On April 24th, you posted on IG and you mentioned that one of your songs hit the top 50 charts, or sorry, top 50 charts for the first time ever, and that you believe in this album more than you could ever imagine. What is different about this album and what makes it so special for like a statement like that? Um, well, to not to intentionally necessarily keep shining a spotlight on Spencer, but um, there was a time about a little, how long ago was it? It was 2021 and half my band left. It was like coming out of the pandemic and we were going to be touring and like it was like getting closer to our first tour and then they're like i don't know if i want to come back to touring and i don't i don't know if i want to do this anymore um so they left and i was kind of scrambling and i'm like well i don't i don't want to not do this this is like it's my life it's what i'm most passionate about so you know keep it going but before i decided to keep it going i definitely like anyone would you know you're I think we were 14 years in at that point, 13 or 14. And, you know, you, you question everything and made me question everything. Like, Mm -hmm. should I keep going? Is is this a sign that I should stop making music? Is the world universe pushing me in a different direction? And I made a couple calls and one of them was to Spencer because I've, uh, we've become really close friends over the years and I really respect and value his opinion. And I know he's gone through different things with lineup changes and, I just knew he would have a different perspective from me like spiraling in that moment. Mm -hmm. And he was like, whatever you do, do not quit right now. He was like, Mm -hmm. this is, he was like, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. You're going to make the best record of your career. And he was like, it's going to be really hard. It's going to not be fun at times. Like all just giving me like all these like pep talk advice of just like, you gotta find a way. Sorry about that. Gotta kill, kill, kill them all. Kill them all. The, 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 the wings. Fly, the wings, man. <laughs> it's just killing the flies. The wings are shooting your way. Sorry. Um, so, you know, he, he was just going through it, telling me some of his stories of how he felt at different moments in Under Oath and, and understanding the questioning things. But then the reward of like, you know, how they're having right now, like this giant resurgence and mm-hmm. just like being all back with Aaron and. Just how like things work out the way they're supposed to when you see things through. And so then I was just like, okay, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to scrap this. We wrote a whole record, more than a a full record's worth of music. And I scrapped almost all of it. No shit. And then I was just like, if 
say this is going to be the last thing I ever do because I can't go out with like not having tried. Mm-hmm. I was like, say this is the last thing that I'm going to do for the word alive. What kind of record does that need to be? What does that need to sound like? What does it feel like? What do I want to say? Um, mm. What's important in my life and in the world right now that's like speaking to me? And so I just went back in the studio and I started writing a lot and I just tried to write the record that I feel like I would want to hear as a fan of my own band. And yeah. like I wrote from a different perspective where I was like, I want to say something that that means something. I don't want to just write words that feel poetic or catchy, you know, whatever. I'm like, I want to write what's real wow. and, and, and real to me. And I feel like just because of the way the the world has been the last few years, I just naturally felt like whatever I had to say was going to resonate with at least a portion of our fans. Yeah. And so I just kind of like tapped back into what I love most about my own band, what has driven me to be in this band for 14 plus years and listening to to fans. And, and I watched our live videos and I was just like, trying to put myself in like a different headspace for a record than I had been in in the past and knowing that I was going to have to write most of it myself versus like relying on other people in the band. I just kind of like took it upon myself to just write what I felt like is the record that the word alive needed to make in, in the songs that like we hadn't made yet. And so I feel like it did that and it's been, it's been going better than I, hoped it would go okay um and it's kind of one of those things where i in that moment i didn't see it and but like spencer said like just like you have to like see it through and then you'll be rewarded for it 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 feels like that's like starting to happen he reflected he saw himself in you in that moment to be like dude trust me power through and make something fucking great you're not done yet you're a fucking musician. You care about it. You're great at it. It's it's your lifeblood. It's what you know. It's what your fans your fans are waiting for you to put out more. Yeah. And like now you're you're gonna put out something so sick. Yeah. He I, he was just so encouraged. I'm I'm getting goosebumps from it because like I remember him saying to he was like you have friends who care about you like you as a person not like Telly from the world I but like you as a person. He's like we're not gonna let you fail. And so like just hearing that from someone that like you grew up, like you're one of the reasons that I'm even in a band Yeah, to be like, I got you. We got you. Um, That's powerful, dude. That is powerful. Yeah. So I I, I have so much love for the Underoath guys as as a whole. And it's, yeah, I I wouldn't be here. Yeah. We wouldn't be having this conversation probably. I love that. It's just how it goes. Yeah. So I got a couple of fan questions. As a fan. Um, so it's funny that you bring up Under Oath being such an inspiration to you because I only discovered your band because Dallas Taylor mm. in Maylene uh, at the time was wearing a Hope Core t-shirt. I don't know if you were familiar with Hope Core back in the day, but it was like a blog. That's where I found In Fear and Faith oh, and The World yeah. Alive. So yeah. some funny synergy. Um, in Fear and Faith, that first record that you put out, Voyage. Yeah. Um, wow. I love that record. The whole pirate theme is so sick. Yeah, it's very. It was. I think it was ahead of its time. It was. It was. Did you? Did was that the first <clears throat> band you toured with? It was. Yeah, that was t- 2007. I had played in like regional bands, and um, I did, um, you know, a couple like 
six 14 day like tour things but they weren't really like tours yeah uh my first full like u.s tour was with in fear and faith in 2007 but, but voyage yeah so i joined the band we make this record we're all super excited about it. we go on tour at that time everyone's young they're on their first tour I what I will say, and the the guys would have said this if they have not all themselves. They were all very into like we're gonna tour so we can like party. Yeah, like tour being in a band was a means to an end to party. And I was like, I want to do something great. Like I I want to be like on a big stage. I want to mm-hmm. like make records. Like it it was I was just in a different place from them. So we're on tour. I break my ankle first night of tour uh, at Showcase Theater in uh, Corona uh, back in the day. Jumping off a rack or something? I jumped off the drum riser and I landed on a, a mic stand and it. Oh, man. It, and it, you it broke just it on stage. Broke it on stage. Finished the show. I you finished the show? We'll be because I mean the adrenaline, right? You yeah, you're just know. you're just like, man, that really hurt. Um, yeah. I broke a lot of bones th- through touring. Um, but that one like set me up because then I'm, I'm on crutches. That's, and it was the first show of the tour. So now I'm going on tour. Then I essentially get pneumonia and the guys were all like partying and I'm on like antibiotics and can barely like get through the show. I'm literally on crutches and hopping around on stage and then Damn. i would go lay down and then they're like loud not letting me sleep and then i would lose my voice because i'm like not sleeping and this is before i i even learned i didn't even learn for years it's like oh as a singer like yeah you need you have to sleep after the show yeah, like, yeah. you can't be the one driving through the night every night you can't which is what i would do and so back then i was just miserable and i'm like if this is we played a showcase for uh, some managers and labels and one manager uh, came up to me and he was like, call me when you quit this band. <laughs> and, wow. th- and that was the moment where I, it like clicked with me. What, it, what is the intention with this band and does it match what I want to do with my life? And it was very hard for me to do because I love what we made. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I was like morally mm-hmm. and like with my soul, I was just like, I don't think this is what I'm supposed to do. Hmm. So I quit and then I tried out for some bands and, you know, bounced around and then eventually ended up in the word alive, uh, like a year and a half later. Got it. And, and in fear and faith, (coughs) Ohio in fear and faith, San Diego, San Diego. Okay. So, but you're from Ohio, right? Yes. So I tried out for in fear and faith. I drove across the country without telling anyone. And in my mind, I was like, I mean, if I get the spot, I'll figure it out. And if I don't, I will have just gone on a road trip and I'll just come back home. I went to California and I never came home. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. That's how I ended up out here. What, wow. what, what year was that? 2007. 2007. Okay. <clears throat> Got it. Wow. That's crazy. Okay. So it wasn't, a, it wasn't an Ohio band. I was going to ask. I mean, what is in the water in Ohio? It seems like so many greats come out of Ohio. I do agree with that, though. And I mean, what I will say is... I feel like the the local scene at that time, there were some local venues that were really uh, influential in like building the local scene. Yeah. There was like a, a venue called The Attic and The Gathering Grounds that were like, I saw like Me Without You play to like 
30 people and so it was like sick. one of the craziest shows I've ever seen. And it's like it it's the kind of like scene that made you want to be in a band. Right. And the promoters and the people like, you know, adults that had their hand in like the venues were they really cultivated it and they really like encouraged bands to be bands and they're like we're going to book you. They you know, you didn't get paid much, but like it was more than you ever thought you were going to make right. and it, it just I feel like they did a very good job of just cultivating not just a scene for fans of like national acts, but the local scene. Like they really did the venues. Yeah, the venues did. The That's promoters cool. did. They and and so I don't know. There was like shows every week. Yeah, like, damn. There was constantly shows. Yeah. So you've you've mentioned a few Christian bands or bands that kind of have a faith leaning. Me without you, Under Oseo. Um, Obviously, faith is important to you. Uh, I read online. I hope that's true. Um, what do you What do you think it is about like Christian metalcore back then? Like, what me and me and Matt have discussed this a few times. Where it's just like, why were there so many heavy hitters in the Christian metalcore scene, and why were we all so angry? <laughs> <laughs> the, the thing is, I really feel, and I don't know if I've ever answered this question before. But what I feel, my personal opinion is, it was almost like you're rebelling against what you've been taught or told your whole life. Whereas like other people who aren't necessarily told like screaming is for the devil, you know, it's like you come from this kind of like it's a taboo thing where it it wasn't taboo for non-Christian people to be like in a hardcore band or whatever. Like their parents are like, whatever, it's just noise. If you came from like a Christian household, It was wrong. Like (laughs) they're like, "What are you doing?" So there was like this kind of like, not cult, but kind of like this movement of people who were like rebelling against that idea, Mm -hmm. and it was just the first generation of that happening. Yeah, and so I think the anger is more like this angst and this like, how do we use these emotions? But then everyone's you know obviously singing about you know. God, God and heaven and hell and and I think too it's like you you're told how life is and you're told all these things and this is like the first time in your life where you're forming your own opinions and it's just you know people becoming young men versus boys and and we're all discovering this like outlet like moshing and the, the pits were crazy back then mm-hmm. like shows nowadays are like Bambi soft compared to yeah, like how it was back compared then. to it. I no. remember crowd killing at an in fear and face show. Um, it's it, it was you, just, that you went to that I went to. It was after Telly left. Oh, okay. we were, they were playing at a church and with of Four course. Today and Icy uh, Stars and Emma Rosa and yeah. and I saw like three dudes just get windmill kicked in the back of the head at that show. <laughs> yeah. And I, I'm you know it, and the music <clears> matches, but it the violence is is real and it and you're at a church and you're you know so, it's dude it's, it, it's so wild because these like i grew up as a christian and i felt i feel like bands like the under oath that i discovered back then were a kind of like a gateway into the music for me because it was okay because it was christian so i can get away with listening to that right sort of thing yeah. and it's it's kind of wild the amount of influence that these christian screamo bands had on the entire genre yeah. because 
at least from and I correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe I was just in more of a bubble, but it seemed like a good handful of the happening screamo bands in the very early 2000s were Christian bands. The Devil Wears Prada. I, yeah, Under I, Oath. I think for sure. I mean, there's so many, and you know, my bands were never. I was never in a, a Christian band, but especially earlier on in my career, I was trying to figure out what I believed in too. And my mom is like very devout Christian. My my dad, and I didn't even realize this until I was older, he never told me. Like he never said anything about what he believed. And I asked him about this when I was, I don't know, maybe in my mid-20s. And he said, I never wanted you to believe something because I believed it. I wanted you to like find what you believed in and hmm. and be okay with that. That's and, a good pops. And and wow. my my beliefs, I wouldn't say are like super different from my parents. I would just say it's not as put in a box mm-hmm. as like I was raised. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm like, very similar to that. Yeah, I, like I I don't I don't really like organized religion. I I don't like. You know, this whole if unless you do these, the this, this, this and this, you're going to hell. Like, yeah, I, I, I just don't believe all that. Um, I believe in I think a higher power. I believe that there's so much more about ourselves and the universe that we could never possibly understand. Mm-hmm. And and I think like humans have put this like physical image to God that is human. And it's like. Thou shalt not have idols. Yeah, it's a, it, <laughs> at least to, to me, like I feel like, uh, just not to go too far into that necessarily, but I think like the questioning, like of things, is so important. And, and when you're asking questions in your music, it it's triggering people to do the same. Mm-hmm. And I think the Christian metalcore scene with breakdowns, it just the style of music really leans itself towards asking a question, like. Who will you, you know, whatever yeah. it's like, it, it, it just feels that way. Yeah. Like when you're questioning everything and you're trying to like become your own person and not who your parents are and angst are, kind of innately has a questioning to it. Yeah. So I, I just think it was like a perfect storm of like, you know, immaturity and trying to become mature, yeah. but with like, like taking, say like taking back Sunday, for instance, it's like, they are like an aggressive alt rock band it was almost it was enough where i think it like people started to be like okay i need more i need a little bit more and i think that's where you see like they're only chasing safety breaks through is because Mm -hmm. it there was the screaming but to me like it just felt like an emotion Mm -hmm. it didn't feel like in my head i wasn't like man he's screaming all the time it was like this is the emotion of the music it was perfectly done yeah like like i genuinely i i genuinely believe that that album was so perfectly done for the amazing vocals uh singing vocals the screaming vocals the um, amount of melodies to screams the music like it was so well done yeah like I, I, i think spencer would go back and he would like to change some lyrics but uh, that's a part of making music, you know, yeah. like you have to write what you feel and know yeah. in that moment. I definitely would go back and s- some lyrics I've read in a, a little cringy, you know. Do, do you have any lyrics to uh, any of your bigger songs that you're like, I wish I would have changed this or that? Uh, there's uh, there, there's definitely, you know what, I, I was like 
cringing at a line that I had in one of our bigger, heavier songs. It was like early on, 2012, and it was like, you'll get what you deserve for fucking with me. And I, I hit this point in my life where I was like, ah, man, like, that's just so like, I'm mad at you. You know, like, yeah, it, yeah. It, 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 that's how it felt. But then when I like really re-soaked in like our old music, we did a 10 year tour in 2019 uh, for that record. And I was like, you know what? Like that was a real emotion, but it also was like tied to a movie. And I'm like, that is how you would feel mm-hmm. still to this day. Like if this happened, I don't know if you've seen the movie law abiding citizen. Um, it's, a, it's a really, really good movie, but essentially like this father, it's pretty gnarly. Like the scenes, like he watches his wife and daughter get murdered in front of him and, and worse than that. And then he essentially, I don't want to ruin it. It's a, it's a movie worth watching, but it's this story of revenge, basically. Got it. And in my Who's head. Who's the actor? Because it's sounding familiar. Um, I may have seen it. It's uh, oh, Gerard Butler is the is the main actor. Oh, uh, okay. Got it. And he's very hit or miss for me. Yeah. But in this movie, in this movie he's, he just he's great. Yeah. yeah, he's great. And essentially, it's like this building up this revenge. And the reason I wrote the line is because if I'm trying to picture if this happened to me, like you're going to, you're just going to have this pure, but like very direct, like anger and, and almost hatred. Yeah. And like, you might say like, you'll get what you deserve for fucking with me. Like, you know, like that, it felt more realistic. So I I was a little bit more like gracious with myself, but but that's how you felt at that moment. Right. And the thing is, art does reflect what you're going through at that time. And so, yeah, you might want to go back and be like, oh, I wish I didn't say that or what I changed it because that's not really how I feel now. But if you felt it then, like that's part of the art. You know yeah. what I'm saying? You you created art on how you feel. And I feel like that's the beauty of, of evolving yeah. and new albums. Like that's how I start to geek out on music is when it's real, because I don't think enough artists are are making real music that's really from their heart that really means something most of it is catchy lines and this and that and honestly i'm guilty for it because i have i mean i have a parody band so it's a a little little different (laughs) i kind of have to do that kind of stuff but like part of me almost like aches to make some real shit and like spill my guts. Oh, we're well, making some just, real shit. That's the artist What's that? in you. We're making some real shit. No, we're making, we're, yeah. Well, I, I guess my- Red Light Kisser was from the heart, dude. Be honest. Yeah, I, I, listen, <laughs> listen, I, listen, I'm not saying like, yes, my songs that I've been writing like mean something to me, but like I, because the band kind of started as like the emo's not dead guy gimmick thing. Uh, I like the way it sounds. I'm proud of all the music. I really love the project, but I feel like maybe second album might just be a real fucking from my heart type of type of album. Well, it sounds like, you know, you've kind of put like this barrier of like, I'm going to keep it over here and I'm not going to go to this place to like let these things out for sure. And but at the same time, I would encourage you to explore what does that look like and sound like? Because the influences you have, like that's what they're doing. The, mm-hmm. the emo songs that we all know and love, they came from this place. And yeah. so they can still be like fun and catchy and, you know, whatever, you know, it needs to be. But I think that's the whole core of like emo is just being real. Yeah. And, and sometimes that's lighthearted and yeah. sometimes that's like that's really true. deep. I think you just touched on something really interesting that, people in this scene 
they're not mindlessly consuming. They're choosing to consume. And, you know, with that, they're paying attention to lyrics more. They're paying attention to, you know, the melodies more, the, the breakdown, whereas, you know, they're, they're, they're looking for that connection. Do you think that it's harder for this genre because of the intent of the listener than like pop or hip hop, where it is maybe a little bit more of a vibe you put on in the room? I've never seen a room clear out faster than putting on post hardcore with people who don't <laughs> listen to it. But like, it, do you think it's a harder job for for an artist like you to um, to 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 write music that that does make an impact in people's lives? Do you feel that pressure? Yeah, I mean, I would say the heavy music world is probably the most critical of the music that they love. Yeah, um, it's such a weird thing. I I grew up like and maybe it's just the generation I'm in, like if I listen to a song from maybe one of my favorite bands and it's, it doesn't connect with me, I don't like it, it's just not for me, my my brain doesn't say, I need to go on social media and tell them that I don't like this mm-hmm. and that they should go make this. I've never had that thought once in my life. And I have record, full records of bands that I love that I just don't care for the whole record. And that's okay with me. Because in my mind, and I think maybe it's because I'm an artist myself, I'm like, they're just writing whatever they need to write right now. And if that doesn't connect with me, that's okay. It's probably mm-hmm. going to connect with someone else. And that's totally fine. Um, I think it's sometimes overly critical because I think people have lost sight of what this genre does mean as a whole. And you are really like a lot of times like wearing your heart on your sleeve. It's like, I've I've read some comments uh, of people being like, oh, you can tell like they don't care. There's no soul in this song, and it's it was like the song that like I'm like crying in the vocal booth, like that meant so much to me. So it's like you're always gonna face that challenge, I think, just because of the way that the world is now with social media, um, which is why I think it's super important to make the music that you are confident in, yeah. because then you can stand on that. I think. You know, and to Matt's point earlier, I do think there's a lot of music being made that's trying to be made to be successful rather than yeah. what you need to speak from your heart. And I, th- I think that's obvious, but I think that happens in every era of music where it's like, oh, we kind of got to make a record like this. It happened in the 60s, 70s, 80s. Mm-hmm. It, it, it will always happen because at the end of the day, if it is your job too, there's this weird line where it's like, yes, you're an artist and you love what you do. But it's like, okay, I got three kids, a mortgage. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. I have to keep this going. We have crew. All these people rely on me. There is this pressure that's from fans, that's from the the financial burden that you have. Being in a band is very expensive. Um, oh, we know that. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's like it's j- just for my band to practice, like get, it's like thousands of dollars. Yeah. So it's like it, it's it's not easy. And I think when you're trying to navigate those waters of like having a career, you do have to like operate some things as a business and you do have to have that mindset. But I think you have to turn that off when you're in the studio. Yeah. And, right. And I think like we're getting, I I do feel like this year's music has been better than it's been in a long time. Oh yeah. I completely I, agree. I think that the, the, the pandy, uh, helped a lot of people to reconnect with themselves and like actually have a lot of time to sit with their emotions and thoughts and feelings and be like, I need to get this out Mm -hmm. rather than like, I want to because it's cool or this is a thing. It's like people like physically needed to like have an outlet 
And I think you're seeing it in the music, in, in my opinion, is like better than it's been in 10 plus years. I, I agree. And the pandemic, I think, was pivotal for the scene. Um, and I have a theory on it. And I wonder if you agree with it. Um, the two years lockdown coming off of Trump and politics aside, you know, that was a tumultuous time for everyone in the country. And then you see this angst come back. You see this anger come back. Absolutely. And it re reminds me of post 9-11 and you had the Bush era, again, politics aside, tumultuous time for Americans. And you had punk and hardcore really pick up that angst and anger. And I, you know, I, I know that music is cyclical and I know rock music specifically is very cyclical, but yeah. I also think that when the society is pissed off, it's yeah. going to reflect. It's, it's when the music is the best. Yeah. Because it's, there's so much raw emotion. And when you have those types of emotions, it, you cannot bottle it up. Yeah. Like it eats at you. It wears you down. It, you know, like you see yourself almost becoming someone else or someone you don't like to see. And it doesn't feel good. Yeah. You know, it, it, and, and I think most people, most sane people, they want to, to get that out in a healthy way. And I think heavy music allows them to do that. Yeah. Today's episode is brought to you by Emo's Not Dead Coffee. Have you heard of them? Emo's Not Dead Coffee is micro-roasted, fair trade, and organic. Myself and Gavin, who picked out the coffee ourselves, tried so many different flavors, so many different beans, and these one won because they taste amazing. I'm a coffee snob, and you guys, I'm telling you, you got to try it. Also, if you subscribe to our E&D coffee, you get 10% off on every single order. Emo is not dead coffee. I should have a tagline here, but I don't. Now, I know Warped Tour is like a hot topic on most alternative podcasts, but what was that like? Tour, I mean, your new band, you're hitting the road, you're going to all these cities, hot as shit. Like, was it hard mentally uh, to like stay sane with nowhere to go except for on the stage and then you're you're off running around? You know, like I've heard that and I've heard a lot of people complain about Warp Tour being on Warp Tour. For me, I'm like a kid from Ohio that like was like, I'll never forget playing music in like my dad's basement. And then learning about what Warp Tour was, I was in a local band and I was like, I'm not going to go to a Warp Tour until I'm playing it. And then I did do that. And 2008 was my first time playing Warp Tour. And then, so for me, every year of playing Warp Tour was like, I never thought I would be here. So I was mm. always like living in the moment. And for me, I don't know, like, I thought it was great. I think how people call it like punk rock summer camp, like that's how I view it. Like. Yeah. I got to tour with and become really good friends with like Travis from We The Kings. The Word Alive would have never toured with We The Kings or The Main, who I love. Like, we would have never toured together. The only reason we did is because of Warp Tour. Like, I can say that I was on Warp Tour with Katy Perry. You right. know, it's like yeah. there's nothing else in the world that's ever existed before or after that the does what Warp Tour. Well, uh, yeah, let's, let's keep building that. <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's something that we talked about um, is that we, we get to have Yellow Card and August Burns Red play on the same stage. Yeah. Yeah. Which is sick. I think people miss that. Like, I, I think they people... They definitely do. Yeah, I think they like having it. it it's like... The, we the want the variety of, you, of the you scene. Should. Whether you like yeah. Screamo or Pop Punk, like, put them together. We're, we all love the same well, shit. Well, look, we, 
when you make a playlist, like everyone has at least like one playlist that has multiple genres in it. Mm-hmm. At least one. If you come from like the warp tour scene, like you can go from listening to Paramore to yeah, listening to Bring Me the Horizon and you don't think twice. No. Like, it's not this like crazy huge like gap between the two. So I feel like while it's not happened since Warp Tour as like a festival tour, I think like people would still like there's still that craving for it. We're working on it. Yeah. yeah. We we, we want to we, we do we want to do a festival. We want to do a festival and we we feel like we can curate the right kind of show that just fans want to see. Like you said, Bring Me the Horizon and Paramore. We all want to go see both both of those artists yeah. play. It's just because it falls into the scene. Like if you yeah. like if you like the scene, you can listen to both those bands. So we talk about that on every episode yeah. on like how we want to just bring people together. We're to trying s- to manifest it a little we're, bit. Yeah, we're manifesting it. And, and maybe sure. without the blacktop and the dust. And- yeah. So I mean, don't get me wrong. They could have made Warp Tour easier on the fans and the bands for sure. And I do think like Warp Tour got a little bit too far away from the quality over quantity thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that's really important with a festival where, you know, you have these big bands and, and, and Warped Tour had this thing where like, say you were a day to remember, like, you know, you might be playing first or second and someone's like waiting in the line to get in and they miss you. And they're like, you're the biggest band of the day. And you mm-hmm. played first. I miss it. There was like a cool thing where it was like, you got to show up early to see the bands you love. But I think as Warp Tour evolved, I think, and they did to a certain extent, like maybe a day to remember would not play before four. Right. So, you know, they yeah. did that. I think if they would have shifted Warp Tour a little bit later in the day and had the headliners close in the dark and with production and stuff. Absolutely. It, yeah. It's like what Danny Warmer festivals do. Yep. I mean, the show is just like, it feels like it's building all day. I'd so much rather be in a hoodie at night watching a band than in a tank top sweating my balls off. Yeah, yeah. bro. You know what's weird is I always thought that was strange too. But the thing is, it's because the drive overnight and you got to build. You like, have to. The, you, they had, had to, to do it that yeah. way for a reason because of production. Yeah. And it makes sense. They had the, by the time the sun set, no bands are playing, crowds filtering out. They got to pack up and you start driving. And they drive straight and then they straight set up. Straight and they set up again and then yeah. you're back to the next day. Yeah. And it's grueling um, for crew. It is a no, grueling bro, tour for crew. I don't know how crew does warp tour. That is yeah. like you, like I felt like it was pretty gnarly as a band guy who was on tour hustling. We would get there, we'd yeah. have to like I mean, you know, you you worked on your fucking on, on your your scrims. I don't know if you guys had scrims or not, whatever, yeah. but like your scrims, your merch, your merch counts, like you're still you're working nonstop. You're, working. you're walking lines, you're, you're selling walking CDs, line, yeah. you're telling people when you're set it. You're is. telling people exactly, yeah. bro. Did yeah. you did you start on the Kevin Says stage? When you first no, we, or did you guys have a more of a presence? We we had enough of a presence that 2010 we did one of the the split stages, like what would be like an amphitheater stage essentially today. Um, so that's where we started, and then we pretty much played a mixture of like what would become the Monster Energy stage mm-hmm. and main stage, like damn th- between those two. Yeah, because the Monster was right; it was a next level to main stage. Yeah, and then it was where they kept mostly like the metalcore bands yeah unless you well, r- broke through to be like a data remember because metalcore brought the biggest draw yeah like me- like the metalcore oh, band was it was, that guy. was the biggest draw by far who all the bands want to come see and i remember a data remember they were massive on warp tour do you remember they had the big heads that would that would that yes. would uh 
Okay, so that that's a good point. So a date remember was the first band, I believe, yep. to negotiate like we'll play Warp Tour, but if we can have some of our show. Yep. And so they were the only band that had production yeah. on Warp Tour. No, I think maybe yep. ever. No, that's right. It is right because I don't know if you know this, Gavin. But I know you talk to Kevin Lyman every now and then, so we, can, we should probably get Kevin on. We should get Kevin stuff. Um, a warp tour to make it fair and to not negotiate said no bands aside from carrying scrims and put them, putting them on no brands can bring their fog machines their light show their this their huge huge crazy banner their huge backdrop their di- whatever it was and a day to remember was the first band that actually negotiated and they said if we're playing warp tour and they were yeah. huge then yeah if we're playing warp tour we want to have our thing and their thing it was fucking sick the very top of the main stage, it w- it was deflated like deflated heads of the bands, like cartoon heads, yeah. and they would pump them up and they go, oh. and all all the heads of the guys would just kind of like slowly yeah. like <laughs> pop up like this, and the second they'd go up, all the fans waiting were like, ah, let's go, that's funny, and they dude their crowd was big, just it was every, wild. every every day. Uh, I remember, so 2008, one of my old bands, I did Warp Tour, and a day to remember was doing Warp Tour. And it was like that moment where you're like, this band's going to be the biggest band, yeah. was in 2008. And you could see it on that tour. They were just, I think they were on the equivalent of the monster stage. Or maybe they were even smaller for a little bit, and then they got bumped up, and they just kept getting bumped up because it was like they were outdrawing and outselling like yeah. everyone. And it was just so cool to see. Anytime a band started to like have their moment on Warp Tour, it was really sick because the scene was still like supportive in a way where everyone would go and like watch that band. Mm-hmm. Like everyone would be like, "I gotta go see, I gotta go see this." Because like the band how guys. crazy, like the, yeah, yeah, like yeah the, the bands, the bands. Be like, like, how crazy is the crowd gonna be today? Yep. And because yep. that's one of my favorite things is like watching. You know, I don't go backstage because I'm like, oh, it's cool to be backstage. I like to see the fans. Like I like to see the reaction they're having. Perfect show for me is half I'll watch backstage and then half I'll watch from like front of house. That's and you. Too. Thank you. That's Gavin too. Yeah, yeah. I'm like Gavin I, wants my, to see both. My idea for this fest, this touring festival would be like arenas half cut so people could see the crowd. Yeah. I want to see the crowd. I want to see the pit. I, I think see. a lot of people enjoy that. And it, as I've gotten older too, like I understand like. You know, we've had shows that every person is moshing. I know that that's just not going to be the case now. You know, like because of being a band for 15 years, we have fans who are in their 40s, 50s now. Mm -hmm. And it's like they're not trying to mosh. No, they're not trying to break their hip. You know, you got to have an elevated experience for the people that are literally our age and even older. And they love the show, but they're not trying to be a part of the show. And I feel like there's the fans that are a part of the show. And I tell crowds this. I'm like, you are what makes this show awesome or like just, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. It's a band can put on the best show they they possibly can. It is the crowd participation that makes a show super memorable. Yeah. And is there is there a region in the in the US that oh actually I want to what's your favorite region? What's the hardest region? I won't say least favorite, but what's the hardest region to play? Is there is there a in the US? Yeah. Um Yeah, what states are just a no, like just not like the hard. Vibe. I mean, is LA hard or You know what? LA is hard because it's so hit or miss. You could have a show. We've had shows in LA and I'm like, this is crazy. And then we've had shows in LA and I'm like, 
okay, this is why people, there are literally bands that will not play LA proper because they're like, the crowds are dead. Everyone's too cool. Yeah, it's a too cool thing. And, 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 and they're just like, it's not even worth it for us to play. We don't like to, to play to those types of crowds, which I understand because at the end of the day, you can love what you do, but that makes it feel like a job. When you're on stage and the crowd is like not into it, feel it feels like a it's job. a job. It's not it's not fun anymore. Yeah. Fun. But when the crowd's going crazy, it's like, dude, I'm not thinking about anything else in life at all. It's literally like you turned off every other thing in my brain, and I'm just living in whatever's happening. Yeah. And so, I mean, crowd crowds do control the entire energy of a show and obviously as a front man like it's my job to get the crowds to the point where everyone's having the best time and i have learned from again getting older you have to realize really quickly if it's a crowd that's going to be able to be motivated and pushed to being like really active or if their activity is coming from like clapping hands up singing along like and that's totally fine with me. Read the room. Yeah, you have to read the room. And I, I think like that's what I've learned from so many great front men and front women before me is like if you can't read a room, it's, I, I just don't think you're going to like have a long career. So favorite region? Yes. Uh, so I will say some hot spots. Chicago is I don't think we've ever had a bad show in Chicago. Um, New York City is we've only had one bad show ever but we had a lot of technical difficulties so i'll play some of it on that um honestly uh atlanta has been very very consistent over the years charlotte is a very uh underrated market usually sold out shows and they're more like wild they have they have a facebook group that is i think it's two or five thousand people are in it and they, if there's a show that you could potentially have the ability to mosh, they like want they to all, sell it out and support it. Oh, shit, and they come and they dope. bring this sign that says the mosh pits here, <laughs> and like they'll they switch it out for like circle pit or do so, and it's like from like ten year old kids to like fifty year old people, and so it's cool. like from this Facebook group, they all come wearing the same T shirt. It's really cool. So I'd say those areas for like Midwest and East Coast on the West Coast. California, Southern California, P- Pomona and Anaheim are the best. Like mm-hmm. there's you're like just separated enough from LA mm-hmm. that you don't have that like stigma of like I'm too cool. You really value music. Um some of my favorite shows in the US have come from Pomona or Anaheim. Interesting. Dude, I I, I can't stand the too cool thing in LA. I, I like I really can't and when when It Boys toured and we toured for 4 years and we played LA probably like five or six times because LA is our home and we would play the Roxy and we, it would be fun because our friends would be there and we got to party with our friends and our friends would support us. But half the time, aside from our friends, the crowd that would show up just to hear the music and hear the band were just this. Yeah. They didn't want to go crazy. They didn't want to mosh. They didn't want to crowd surf. Like LA has always been tough. And when you talked about our best shows, New York was huge. We had a good choice in Portland, Oregon. Was actually a pretty big market. I yeah. always heard Portland was bad. So Portland, well, maybe, but maybe we're all from Portland. Or- Me, Judah, and Duck were all from Portland, Oregon. Yeah, and maybe we just got like caught wind that our band that was kind of on the up and up were from Portland. So maybe we got that support. Did there. you play at Hawthorne? 
Hawthorne Theater. Hawthorne's great. Yeah, uh, seen so many good shows. What, give give me a couple other venues. Uh, there's maybe Roseland, Hawthorne. Crystal Ballroom. Oh yeah, yeah. Rose, I forgot about no Rose. Hawthorne. It was Hawthorne. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it's Roseland like and Crystal Ballroom. Six or eight hundred cap. I can't, yeah. I can't remember yeah. something yeah. like that. Yeah, we've had a lot of great shows there. Yeah, it's like it's it's like the punk rock venue for Portland. I would I would go, I'd, and I'd get pissed at a show in Portland because I'm like. Maylene is on the stage. Like, let's go. Like, let's well, go. There, yeah. there's uh, in Portland. You do have the hipster yeah. crowd can take over a show. Yeah, and if it's like sixty percent hipster and forty percent people who are like energetic, the it, if you're trying to mosh or something, I'm just using mosh. It's not like that's the only thing to do. Even yeah. say jumping, but like if you have someone standing next to you that's like annoyed at you doing that it kind of makes you not want to do it it yeah. kills the vibe if it's 60 percent the we're going to do whatever we want no matter what and it's 40 percent the hipster side you're fine yeah but if it's mm. if it's heavy it's leaning, lean one way yeah interesting. yeah interesting. interesting um okay so you guys tour a lot you are like we, we talked about it earlier like that is your bread and butter and i know that i know unfortunately music just hardly pays the bills you have to literally have hundreds and millions if not billions of streams to actually make some money yeah so the bread and butter we all know is in touring does does that ever take its toll on you are you ever like are you always stoked for tour or are there some tours that you actually go on and you're like kind of in a weird mental space dreading going on tour have, have you ever had have you ever had trouble wanting to wanting to leave absolutely and I think probably most people, if you've been in a band, especially for 10 years or longer, the same band, you've undoubtedly experienced this. Like, you know, we used to tour back in the day when we were younger, like eight to 10 months out of the year, which is way too much. Like you, you need to decompress. You need to physically like recover mm -hmm. there. And there's a lot about touring that like goes unsaid, you know, because you're you're kind of living in a small box with people. Say you were upset with someone or offended by something or some, someone just pissed you off. It's in your best interest to not say anything because you don't want to make it uncomfortable or be the one who's like, hey, you know what? Like, fuck what you said. But, you know, you don't want to start anything. So I think like we got so used to like burying stuff all the time, even if it was small. And then it comes out later, like mm -hmm. it inevitably does, mm -hmm. like any relationship. If you do that, if you bottle it up, but touring specifically, it's like no one wants to make it harder than it already is. So everyone would just kind of be like, well, you know what? I'll, we'll talk about this later, but you never do mm -hmm. or you rarely do. And by the time you talk about it, you're like, it's hard to remember what you were even really either upset about or it, the thing you wanted to say because now too much time has passed. So there's like this element where it's kind of toxic mm -hmm. uh, if you don't have that communication. Uh, and when you're a younger band, no, no one taught us that. No one was telling mm -hmm. us, hey, it's important, guys, to do this. Now, you know, that we've all gotten older and going through some lineup changes, and that's part of it, too. It's like when you're in a band, there's this kind of like you can't quit. You can't do this. Well, it's like anything in life, any relationship or job, like if it isn't what you feel like you need to be doing, if it isn't feeding your soul, if it isn't, maybe you have other dreams or aspirations, it's not healthy for you to stay in the band. Mm -hmm. And I think there's this weird stigma with like leaving um, that has been created 
And I understand a lot of it stems from like fans feeling like if this person leaves, the identity of the band is gone and now I'm not going to like this band. There's part of that. But I think a lot of it is like this unhealthy, toxic, like you have to stay in this and do this. And and it, it does come from like a loyalty and a compassion for your bandmates and being like, I don't want to let them down. Um, but how I view things and why I think I have like a good relationship with pretty much every person who's ever been in our band is because when that time has come, I've been like, I want you to go then. I want you to find Mm -hmm. what makes you happy. And that's going to be good for you. And it's going to be good for me too, because having someone who, who doesn't want to be there, Mm -hmm. it's not conducive to creativity. It's not conducive to like good vibes and good energy. And the older I get, like, I just want everyone to have a good time and be happy. And I want to work hard so that we can have the the reward of like the confidence knowing, hey, if we all do our job, we're going to have a good show. If we all do all the hard work here while, while no one's looking, we get to actually go on stage and ha- there's no resentment. We're all like happy. So there's an element of like work hard and the show is kind of like play hard. You mm-hmm. know, it's like if you put in the work, you're going to have a good time with touring. Now I'm having more fun than I ever did in the first early 13 years being really? a band because there's just so much more i know now about just being a human you yeah. know like i can see when someone's having a bad day and instead of me being like i don't want this to drain me it's in my best interest to to listen and mm-hmm. to communicate and now i'm going to learn more about this person who's either in my band or in my crew and now i can be a better friend or better bandmate and then it creates this environment where everyone's communicating. It's it's just a healthier environment for everyone. It's more fun. And now there's less of that, like, oh, man, like this tour is coming up. And I don't know if I want to be bearing things. You know, yeah. like mm-hmm. it, once you've done that enough times, tour becomes kind of like a chore. And you're like, man, I have this emotional baggage maybe mm-hmm. that like I've had this thing with another member this tension and so even if it's subconscious your body knows it and it feels it now that just doesn't exist in my band anymore and that's only from just literally existing as a human long enough to learn those yeah just maturing it's just yeah does it also come from no like being adult enough to take advantage of tour and the travel and the blessing that that is? Or do you even get a chance to do that? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's another, that's a good point too. Like when I was younger, it was just like, I didn't walk around the cities. I didn't, I didn't explore as much. Now that I'm older, I I'm like, okay, we're going to be in this city. I love this restaurant. I gotta get, I gotta go there for lunch. Oh, my friend who I grew up with lives here or this bandmate I used to be in a band with lives in this city. I'm going to get to see them catch up. Like I seek out when I'm on tour things that will fill me up experiences. And, and, and I didn't do that when I was younger. And so you're just exhausted, drained, like you're, you live and die by if you have a good show or not. And now I can have a bad show and I can walk off stage and be like, that was just one show Mm -hmm. and I can be fine. Mm -hmm. I also think like, you know, obviously your experience is being in a band and, and the, the dichotomy of that is, you know, you have band members and they're, they're part of the identity of the band. And so you, you, you're almost forced to like keep friendships and keep relationships maybe longer than a natural human. What I think back to my early twenties and I, you know, I can count on one hand, not because I'm a shitty person or they're, they're shitty people. It's just like 
a lot of my friends, we, you know, all went different directions. You, outgr- you can outgrow someone and it, it, or they can outgrow you. And it's because it's not linear. Yeah. Like we're not all growing at the same rate. Yep. And, and I do, I, that's a huge part of it is it's okay yeah. f- to, to go different, to ways. be in a different place from someone else and to say, Hey, maybe it's better for both of us if we separate it. And again, it, it's, nothing about that person being a bad person or you being a bad person. It's just your life is going in a different direction that you're not, you know, clicking anymore. Yep. And so it's, yeah, it's interesting to like think about a band and how, how there's so much incentive to keep, keep things around that maybe, maybe shouldn't. Um, but, but going back to traveling and, and touring, what, what do you do? I mean, you mentioned a few things, you know, that are more social, seeing people, um, restaurants and stuff. Um, but do you ever just like hit hit the back road or or hit a national park or go see if you're in Portugal? Are you going? Are are you tr- are you seeking out those like more so internationally? Yeah. Like America is a re- like I just got back from Turkey and uh, like two days ago. Sorry, um, America is such a young country still. Like relatively, mm-hmm. there's not a ton of history all over America. So true. It's like you have it in like the Northeast and there's certain things throughout the country, but you could go five States in a row and it's like, it's all the same thing. It's, you know, so there's not, it's like you can't really explore. There's only so many times you can go to like Denny's down the street from this venue. You know, it's like some places just don't offer an experience beyond playing the show. Yeah. The Grand Canyon is cool a couple times. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But in like especially, I mean, I I love going to Europe, but first I would say like 5 years of us going to Europe, I would be like got to find Wi-Fi so I can stay connected with people back home. Now when I go on tour and I go international wherever it is in the world, I'm like where can I go in Tokyo? Like where, okay, we're in Berlin. I'm going to go to the parks and I'm going to go walk around and learn the streets so that every time when I come back here, it feels that feeling of home. And instead of seeking it through a phone, it's seeking it in real life. And I think that's also part, like I'm a nineties kid, you know, like played outside, like until the lights turned off and then you come home for dinner. It's like, there's an element of that with traveling that I tapped back into that I love. Like I love exploring a city. I love trying new things. Um, I, I like history now more than I ever did. Yeah. And so part of touring for me, part part of the perk, because yeah, it's not financial, is is travel. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. and and soaking up cultures and history and experiences that you would have to pay thousands of dollars to experience otherwise. So. Yeah. You need to go do it as a job. That's so sick, man. Is, I miss that. What's your favorite place to play internationally that is just like like i imagine there's some cool venues that are like hundreds of years old you know like red rock in the u.s is sick because it's got never played and it's on every band's bucket list i feel like for good reason is there anything internationally like red rock that you've played that was just mind-blowing or like a a coliseum somewhere we played we played a place like that in brisbane i believe it was in australia with parkway drive um and a few places that are really cool, like playing in like Prague, you're playing in, you know, a very old building or Budapest. Like there, there's certain places where you definitely experience some of 
the historic side. Yeah. But at the same time, a, a lot of venues have been placed that are more modern. But you might be playing a venue that's right next door to like a cathedral. Yeah. You know, so it's it's kind of more like that where the venue might not be the craziest. Um, I would say one of the the cooler venues is actually in Detroit. Um, as far as like feeling like you're playing someone's really old, and it's only like a hundred years old, but has like stained glass windows and it feels a little like gothic era cool um, so th there's places like that but for the most part a lot of the venues are like placed within areas that yeah. have that like you can go outside and be like oh this is a, this is a castle down the street and they're like that's pretty cool so red rock is a bucket list though for you yeah absolutely yeah. any other bucket yeah. list items like that um i would love to play we've played in a lot of countries but I honestly, I want to play in some of the countries that like no one plays that often. Like I want to, I know, right. Not going to be anytime soon, but like, I want to play Russia and Ukraine. I want to play, mm -hmm. we played uh Sofia, Bulgaria like six years ago. And it was one of the craziest shows we've ever played in our lives. And wow. it's a giant, they don't have a venue there at least until I think maybe it's like a arena or stadium kind of thing. It was like a giant gym, essentially, that they clear out, put in like bleachers, and then you have like the pit, and then they bring in and build a stage and put the PA system in just for, for shows. We played with Asking Alexandria. It was incredible, but it's like no one plays Sofia, Bulgaria. Yeah, like, wow. It, and so the fans probably freak oh, out. Oh, it was, it was literally up. like next level. Same thing, we played Sao Paulo, Brazil, and Brazil is arguably the most passionate group of people in life but music fans like yeah they will when we first played they learned like the words to almost every single one of our songs knowing you're coming so that if we played that song they would be able to like show us respect by like singing no along way and it's still to this day like the shows we played in brazil i think other than helsinki in finland which is one of my favorite places to play in the world I don't think anyone's ever sang louder still to this day. Wow. It's because they all, it's like a pride thing. They want to give you the best show. Are and there I fairly think, large crowds there too? Uh, I think like our biggest was like 850 yeah. there, but 850, 850 people, people with every person singing along That's is huge, it's better dude. than 2,000 people where like a For fourth sure. of the crowd is singing. Yeah. And the energy is just. It's I mean, dude, to go, to go to Brazil and have 850 people show up and all singing your song, that's wild. Yeah. That's like, like again, what a it, feeling. Again, it makes you, as long as you're tapped into it, like, and you're like, this is crazy. Like, I've yeah. never, I've never not felt like this is crazy what I do. Totally. I know my job is not normal. Yeah, it is. It is wild. Like, you're, like, you are a touring musician for a living. That yeah. is, not many people get to say <laughs> that. That's pretty freaking wild. Yeah, it's uh, it's weird. Where's where's the most you've ever felt like rock star? I know, like, w was that a, a Brazil? You mentioned a place. Uh, in, did you say Finland? Is that yeah? Helsinki, Finland is uh, our largest uh, European headlining show. It was like nine hundred fifty people, and we were not expecting it. Like, we got word that the show was selling really well, and we were like, "Really in Helsinki?" And we got there, and it was. My favorite headlining show we've ever played mm -hmm. was there. And still to this day, like I I remember just being on stage and I would just I would be like flabbergasted is the only word I could say. Like I would just be smiling, looking like an idiot, and I'm just like <laughs> I'm like 
how is this real That's right so now? Sick. So like bands who have that all the time, I'm like, I mean, yeah. it has to be the coolest feeling in the yeah. world. Dude, it's, I mean. Because just one time on that tour, having that feeling was like enough to last me a lifetime. There are so many bands and you're like, wait a second, you play in front of 2,000 people a night? Aren't you freaking out? Wait, you play in front of 5,000 people? Like that shit is next I level. I, I can't pretend. We've played some big festivals and we did Warp Tour UK in London and we played for 10,000 people uh, at that show. And it was insane. Biggest show? I, no, our biggest show was in Manila. We played with 30,000 people. What? At, Manila? At stadium. Um, Manila does uh, these uh, Pulp SummerSlam is the name oh, of the festival. Okay. And they bring in... Dude. Uh, like, I think Cradle of Filth's 20-year was like... They were headlining. It's like a lot of bands. It's like from the morning until like 3 a.m. It's oh, just wow. It's a long festival. But it's like people save up all year and go to it. And go to and it, And the yeah. tickets are like six, starting at like $6 US or something like that. Like wow. it's so cheap so that everyone can come. Okay, so they, they make it like once a year, we're going to put on this festival and every person who likes this kind of music comes. They show up and just sit there to watch all the bands. And, yes. Wow. And it is So it's you guys, awesome. uh, like what was your set time when you guys played? 30 or 35 minutes. And we played at probably like 3 p.m. Okay, so in front of thirty thousand people, like yeah. it was just all, it was already packed. There oh was yeah. There, okay. So oh was, no, that, dude. Yeah, that's would that feel so different from your other shows? Yes, because it's like the stage, and then they have like it's like Metallica, you know. It's like they have the catwalks like down, and it's like God, I'm I, like oh. Luke. Uh, Luke Holland was our drummer in our band. I'm like two hundred feet away from him. Like it's and I, and I would That's turn around and I'm like, he looks small. Like it's crazy. And so Damn. to me, like those bands that like say like a Metallica that play only stadiums pretty much. I'm just like, I can't even imagine what it's like do you to think they, do, do that all the time. Do you think they lose some of the, the magic and the feel of playing only big shows? I mean, I imagine there's some, sword sharpening that happens when you go play a 500 cap room to a 2000 person room like you can kind of but do you think they lose some of that or do you think, I it, comes think with you? it goes band to band i think metallica do a great job one i just know from friends like ice and kills are on tour with them and a bunch of people have either worked with them know them closely they're in this cool place in their career where they're the biggest metal band of all time hard rock whatever you want to call it they are like almost just as grateful and like excited as they've ever been. And they really like the new blood. Like they like that they're putting on their fans to Ice Nine Kills. Yeah. Oh, and they sick. think it's sick. Yeah. And I'm like, this is great because I've played some festivals with bands that didn't give a fuck about any of the other bands mm. that just like were so jaded on stage. They all hate each other and you can just feel it and tell. And then you have them and then they're like smiling and having a good time and like playing with like the fans and the front rows it's like they make the show at a stadium at least in my opinion feel intimate still cool but when it's a band that i think is like maybe more jaded and they've got they've been like oh our million stadium show like if you have that energy and you're not changing up your set you're not changing up changing up pr your production for your fans it feels cold it feels lifeless mm -hmm. yeah. and i think I don't like seeing those shows. Mm -hmm. uh, and 
So I think like a band like Metallica is like, yeah, they've really done it the best possible yeah. way. Yeah. So talking about how Metallica is putting on, putting on Ice Nine Kills right now and they're stoked on it. What are some bands that have done that for you? That have been like, these guys are, are dope. Maybe you guys were up and coming. Maybe it's it. Maybe it's been the last year. Whenever, like, who who has kind of helped put you guys on? I will say we did two tours that were like very, like we were fanboy fanboying being on them. The first one was a date. Remember, and Under Oath were on tour, and we were the two of four. And this is in 2010. This is when I first met the Underoath guys. I had known a day to remember from my old band, mm. which is part of how we got on the tour. I actually sent Josh, their old bass player, I sent him our CD before it came out. Oh, shit. And he was like, I love this. Do you do you want to come out on tour with us in Underoath? And I'm like, oh, sick. Yes, what, of what, course. What, what band was it? Was a it, day to remember? A, oh, yeah, but what band were you in at the time? Oh, The Word Alive. Oh, The Word Alive, okay. Yeah, and that was our first like big tour that was like, oh, shit. Um, Silverstein took us out actually first in 2009 on what I would say is like our first notable tour. Mm -hmm. Um, and then after that, Killswitch Engage took us out in 2013 and they were like the sweetest guys and everyone was just like, Oh, we love Killswitch Engage. Like you guys are gods. And they were just like, ah, you know, we just like fart and make like dick jokes and stuff. Like, <laughs> yeah. and we're just like, oh, guys. So, yeah, yeah, it's like in again, the human thing, like some of the best bands, I think, from like our genre and scene, like are made up of just like really cool humans. And yeah. especially the ones you've seen, like sustain 15, 20, 30 years, like it's because people like them, you know, as people too. you can't just have the songs like yeah. alone. It's like there has to be people have to want to work for you. They have to want to come see you. They have to want to deal with each other. Like there's a lot of good people in, yeah. in our scene. And who are some bands that you guys are putting on? Who are bands on you guys' tour that you're like, dude, these guys are super dope. We, we believe in them. They're great guys. Um, maybe they're not. Maybe they're, they haven't exploded yet, but they might. But who are some of those guys? Well, we took out um, a band called Our Last Night. And I think it was 2014. And this is before. Wait, are those they, guys that do all the covers? Up. Yes. Oh, okay. Got it. And like at the time they were kind of like a little written off. And I was like, how? They're so good live. They're great dudes, great music. And they crush it on our tour. And the, fast forward to 2019, they took us out because <laughs> like they're just smashing it. They just did a headliner and it was like, I think it was like 30,000 tickets sold Every every kidding? every single date sold out in advance, like, and so it's like that's that's one of the joys is both we've been the band that's been taken out and then gone on to like sell out that venue, and we've taken out bands that have then gone on to like wow. either surpass us, which you have to be like humble about it. You mm -hmm. can't look at it like it's a race that anyone's actually going to win because we all are winning. Like yeah. we're playing music and getting paid for it. Yeah. it. It's just like some people connect more at a certain time and you may know why or may never know why I choose to just embrace it. And I, I love rooting for my friends to win, you yeah. know, um, another band like Memphis may fire. They, you know, they're having a great resurgence right now. And it's like Maddie, their front man is one of the best humans on earth such as and it's guy. like it's so fun to root for people to like have that success uh i can't say who it is yet but we're taking out two bands that are younger um later this year when we headline 
And both of those bands, I think, are going to have some. It, they have the potential to have like really cool careers. So, oh yeah. We'll, so this won't come determined. out until July. Is is there a chance that you've announced it by the time this comes? I can out? say one then. Yeah, Dark Divine is a band that's actually on our label, uh, and I think they're just like really young, hungry. Um, they kind of, if you know Motionless and White, they're a little bit more like on that side, mm. like the darker metalcore goth thing. Mm. But they're like forming their own identity, and I, mm. I'm excited to see like what comes yeah, of it. You know, that's dope. When do you head out on tour next? So we will be out. I'm thinking of when this will be out and what I can say. Uh, so we will be headlining August, September, um, July. I think our new album will be announced by the time this comes out. Um, but if if not, just soon. we're gonna have a new album out very soon. Okay. Uh, we would have already released our single Slow Burn. We have two more singles uh, to come before the album. One will have been announced in July uh, that has Loveless. Uh, Julian uh, is an incredible singer, and we Lo- had just talked on... Loveless, is he the, the, he was, he's on TikTok, right, that guy? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I yeah. follow that and guy. So yeah. they've blown up. They're killing it. They have great song. They have great original songs, too. Um and he is on arguably my favorite song on the record. Uh, it's called Hate Me. And it's just, he he made the song extra special. I loved the song before, and he did something to it that just makes it feel. He's got a great voice. Oh, He's got such a great insane voice. Insane voice. He's got like, great eyes, too. Great eyes. He's yes. a pretty man. Dream, oh, he, you, you're like, you get lost in those. <laughs> yeah, you get lost pretty in man. Those. Oh, man. Sick. Yeah. Well, E&D fans, you heard it. Telly is the man. We've been friends for a long time. Not only is he a gem of a human, he's a fantastic front man. And you got to catch the Ward Live on tour. Uh, check check the dates down below. We're going to link it for you guys. And ladies and gentlemen, audience, give it up for Telly. Come on, guys. Uh, beautiful audience, by the way. Aren't they gorgeous? Every person is a 10. 